0: Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Gospel of Matthew there are some sad parts about that but some exciting exciting part about that where essentially we're concluding a eight-month sermon series through the gospel of Matthew um, there's always a weird thing for me so engaged with these uh, throughout my own life during the week and then uh, in, uh, in being able to have the opportunity and blessing to preach these as kind of a sadness and leaving it but part of what is really exciting for me is While we're concluding an eight-month series, we're beginning a five-month series in the book of Acts, and we're going to actually cross that bridge today, and and that really means we're continuing the story. I'm excited about that. We're going to continue the gospel story that we've been uh, at, and that's by design this year. We've just wanted to have this journey to see the gospel at work. So if you would, think of today as a bridge day Okay, we are essentially crossing this bridge and bridges connect things, bridges connect things. Bridges also continue journeys. So instead of today kind of being in that place of, well, it's the last day in Matthew, and so kind of the you know the joy and the sadness of that, and then next week we're going to open to Leviticus or something. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of conclude, and we're going to keep driving this bridge into Acts, and we're going to be in the first 11 verses of Acts, and then we're just continuing on with the story. In fact, next Sunday, uh, we are actually here going to be doing a... Uh, summary of the first 12 chapters of Acts in one Sunday. Uh, I'm wanting us to get to chapter 12, 13, so because really Acts is, we'll get started today, it's broken out kind of in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And a number of years ago, I preached through the first 12 chapters, and so I want to pick up uh, in chapter 13 and go. So next Sunday, uh, I'm excited about because it is going to be a completely unlike Sunday. Uh, you're going to get an overview of uh, n- a lot of text in a very unlike manner. Uh, we're going to be doing charades. No, we're not. <laughs> so, uh, But you'll want to be here for that. I'm I'm really excited about how we're going to be taking that through. So today we conclude in Matthew. We begin Acts. Um, and let me kind of make a couple notes about it. One is the scenery changes. Uh, So much of the Gospel of Matthew has essentially been about the second person of the Trinity, uh, boots on the ground, on the earth if you will, uh, face to face uh, with people, and we've been watching him turning lives inside out and upside down. That's certainly been the case. We come over into the book of Acts as we see it unload and unpack, we really now begin to see the third person of the Trinity, Engage through God's people as the entire world is turned inside out and upside down. One of the amazing things about the Gospel of Acts, I think that we, for, or I'm sorry, the Book of Acts that we forget to remember is it's really only about a 30-year time period. Think of that, only a 30-year time period. In a 30-year time period, in three decades, God uses a bunch of ordinary people, not supermen or wonder women. God uses ordinary, regular people to change the entire face of the earth and what happens in 30 years. Friends, in just 30 years. And today is less maybe about a sermon and more about a time observing some things in this bridge connection that's taking place. Because I think too often we do think of the the 11 disciples as these these crazy superhero men that that have these superpowers in and of themselves. The fact of the matter is, is they are incredibly ordinary people. And today, we're gonna see even after the resurrection, they are not getting some things, even now. And yet, God is about to use them in ways to change the face of the earth. And at this point, even in our church, I'm asking the question. We've been doing this now as a church for 11 years, and this has been a crazy, amazing, unexpected thing. And we could get stuck on what God has done, but instead, let's get our eyes focused on what God could do. Because, friends, the story's not over, there's a world to be taken for the Lord. And we're going to be going into the book of Acts as we move ahead. So, instead of superhero people, the Lord used spirit sent to the world through doors of faith, Going as a strengthened people, a going people, a reasoning with people, a fearing less people, a competent in the scriptures people, a bold people, a living among people, a people for the name people, a telling their stories people, and by the way, I just gave you the first three coming months of our time in Acts, okay? So we're going to be seeing what's going on. Well, we're Matthew 28, let's begin in these last paragraph of the book as we close it out. I'll begin by reading verse 16. Now, this is after the resurrection. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. pause there i'm wanting us to make some observation about these guys that i think sometimes we read over quickly and this is one of these things where it's intriguing the gospel of matthew has basically been showing the disciples as particularly the 11 disciples as a wall i mean where are they in the gospel of matthew during the time of the cross and the resurrection uh, matthew really doesn't show them anywhere and it's interesting because matthew was one of the disciples and in this, he doesn't really show them, and then we find them the first time showing up. and And here in it, it's kind of like, "Come on, losers, man, Where have you been? But let me make a positive note about this. One of the things we see is they are obeying disciples, even in this little thing. what What am I talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is the fact that Jesus had said that he would meet with them in Galilee. In fact, uh, chapter 26, verses 30 to 32, let me read those. It says, and when they had sung, uh, sung a hymn or songs of praises, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus said to them, you will fall away because of me this night, and that happened. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus told them that he would meet them again after his death, now At his resurrection, you meet them again in, in Galilee. We're also told in chapter 28, verse 7, when the angel tells the women at the resurrection, verse 7, then go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. And so in this, there's other pieces of information we don't know, but what we all of a sudden come to find out that I love is here are these guys who have been AWOL. They show up, and at least they're meeting with Jesus again. So let's give them some creds for that. Here they are, doing what Jesus asked to do. Were they perfect, obedient, superhero disciples? No. But they're back. They're with the Lord. Let's not miss that fact. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Again, I want to give them some creds in this. Uh, we are seeing obeying disciples, and now we're seeing some worshiping disciples. They've been gone off the scene for the last days of his of his death and his resurrection in the Gospel of Matthew, and now Matthew brings them back in, and the first two things we find, is they're going to where Jesus had told them to go, and they get there, and they're worshiping him. By the way, this wasn't a worship service. They didn't pass out uh, bulletins, or updates as we call it. They didn't, like, have PowerPoint. They didn't have sit in a rose. Uh, can I just say this? They, they worshiped him in his presence. It was them and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, And there they are worshiping him, exactly what was going down. I don't know, but I got to tell you this, they had to be in awe. They had to be in awe of what's taking place, obeying disciples, worshiping disciples. And then Matthew notes something very interesting before he gives the great commission. You can't miss this. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I like that. I like that because it gives me hope and it gives us hope. Now, I want for us to understand in this that there's a good bit of kind of a scholarly conversation that has to do with who is the sum? Who are they referencing here? And some ha- have the view that this wouldn't be the 11 disciples because actually we know in the other Gospels that they record there have been other times where the resurrected Christ has already meet with the have met with the disciples. So how could they still here be doubting? Well, I kind of reply back, I'm not in that camp. I think this is referring to the 11 disciples. And I do say that because of the grammar structure of it. It just doesn't make sense grammar to pull it out. And instead, on top of that, I go, even though they saw him resurrected from the dead, I still think some of them are trying to figure out what in the world's going on here. Instead of doubting, they're hesitating would be the word I would use. They're, they're They're like, what? Listen, doubting, hesitating is a thinking thing. And I love the fact that Jesus engages with thinking people. And in this, the Bible acknowledges the reality that these guys are not superheroes. They're not supermen. They're not wonder women for Jesus. They're broken trying to figure it out people just like me and you, right? And even at times post the resurrection, you would think that once they saw it, they should have like got it, bam. I love the way D.A. Carson comments on this. He says, Jesus's resurrection did not instantly transform men of little faith and faltering understanding into spiritual giants. It didn't happen that way overnight. I think even Matthew wants us to understand some of them, maybe it was even Matthew, some of them were still trying to wrap their brain around this whole thing. Were they obeying disciples? Yes, they were, but certainly not perfectly. Were they worshiping disciples? Yes, they were, but kind of one of the comments I would have on that is if I could push back, I would kind of go, well, that's easy after when you're seeing the resurrected Christ. But here in it, they are still trying to figure this out. One of the things that you and I oftentimes don't want to talk about is that we are still trying to figure some things out. We have this tendency in us to be proud. Have you noticed that in others? (laughs) And yet the fact of the matter is that there are times in life where I and you go, is this whole thing for real? true? I mean, come on, let's be real. No one's perfect, and we're still trying to put our brains around some of this thing. And and why am I making such a big emphasis on this? Because this is the setting in which Jesus gives these obeying, worshiping, but hesitating disciples the Great Commission i got to tell you, this would not be the moment that if I were Jesus, good thing I'm not, but if I were Jesus, this would not be the moment I would be giving the great commission to them when I know that some of them are doubting. But Jesus does. He gives the great commission to people who don't fully get it. And that means even more so that it's hopeful for you and me. So let's read this great commission. Verse 18, And Jesus came and he said to them, them by the context who are obeying and worshiping and hesitating, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, it's like, perk your ears up, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So many things we could talk about. We could talk about a whole series on this, but I just want to point out kind of three statements. First one is all authority. This all authority has to do with the idea Morris points out. He says uh, this is pointing to the end of to the time when Jesus was the Isaiah fifty three one, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, uh, smitten by God and afflicted. He makes mention the incarnation authority limitation no longer applies. He now has full supreme authority throughout the universe. In other words, the Colossians 1.1, who created all things, the second person of the Trinity, who came in the flesh, Philippians 2, and that whole thing taking on uh, the the reality of mankind in our place, is now resurrected from the dead, and if I could say, is back in the full authority seat again. And, And here in this, it's important to understand, it's not just some Joe Blow that is about to say what they're about to say. Jesus wants them to understand this hey, I am about to tell you something that is coming from the one that has all authority over all heaven and earth. And that should cause you and me and them to perk up and to go, listen, if Jesus thought it important enough to say and clarify that I have all authority and I am now about to ask you for something, we should be listening. And so what does he say? He says, therefore, go and make disciples. Go and As you are going, be making disciples. By the way, go make disciples. Jesus doesn't say, sit here and make disciples. Go and make disciples. He doesn't say, make disciples from a distance. Yeah, but I got a great Twitter account. Yeah, I do great Facebook ministry. Fine, fantastic, but can I also say this? That's not the full reality of the Great Commission. There's something about face-to-face with the people in our world. And it's easy to talk about things. It's easy to online things. It's hard to be involved with people. It's really hard to be involved with people. And in a modern day and age, we are getting more and more distance from people, thinking we are more involved with people, and we're not. This is a go. Uh, it's, make, decide. it's not a make disciples by having them brought to you goal here isn't go get people and bring them here so I, we can then make them disciples. That's part of it. I don't have anything wrong with internet. I don't have anything wrong with doing that. But listen, when that becomes the mode of operation, we're missing what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling his disciples that, listen, there is to be something in you that causes you to understand that you are to be one engaged in your world, bringing the gospel to people who need it face-to-face, eye-to-eye, life-to-life. People need to see people who love Jesus breathing and talking and wrestling and working it out. They need to see that. People need to see people who love Jesus who fail in life and ask for forgiveness and sin. People need to see that kind of stuff. People need life on life together. Go make Disciples, by the way, disciples are made, they're not produced, they're not manufactured, they're not microwaved. Disciples are not, okay, take class one, class two, class three, class four, boom, here's your diploma, you are a disciple now. The fact is, is every one of us are in the exact same place if you know Christ as your Savior, we're in the exact same place of growing to be more like Christ as a disciple for Christ. We may be in different places on that growth reality, but every one of us are under construction, right? We're pressing along, we're moving along, and disciples are made, they're not purchased. Hey, worshiping, obeying, hesitating disciples, go make disciples. But Lord, where do we go? How do we go? When do we go? All those are great questions, and I think as we're going to go into Acts, I'm going to let the Acts answer a lot of those. But let me note this. D.A. Carson says this. The New Testament can scarcely conceive of a disciple who is not baptized or is not instructed. Indeed, the force of this command is to make Jesus' disciples responsible for making disciples of others. A task characterized by baptism and instruction we're going to see more of this laid out in the book of acts that together uniquely how god has gifted us and placed us in the worlds that he has put us around every one of us are to be influencers of the lord and then the very last words he says in it i'll note and behold i am with you that's cool that's super cool because he's about to go And before he goes, he says, I will be with you. It's kind of this whole idea of, hey, uh, not my spiritual superman. Go make disciples know something. Go knowing I'm with you. I am with you. And by the way, note in in the term, he says, to the end of the age. By the way, that means that promise is a promise for you and me today. We are not alone in this. We are not alone in this. He knows exactly what's going on all around, and he's engaged with it the Great Commission comes with a great promise. The Great Commission comes with a great promise that Jesus is with us. He's not on vacation. He's not on vacation. He is with us. So cool, the Gospel of Matthew begins with a great promise that Jesus is the promised son of David one, that he is the promised son of Abraham one, And by the way, the gospel of Matthew finishes with a promise that the son of David one, the son of Abraham one, will be with you always. Always. So with that, cross the bridge. Turn to your Bibles. Say goodbye to Matthew. (laughs) Turn to the right to the book of Acts. If you're using the and the Bible's in the seats there. I believe it's page 855. My page is 910, for whatever that helps. And let's pick up, because the story continues. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Hold there. If you're newer to the Bible, I want for you to know that the book of Acts is written by Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Luke is kind of writing a second volume here. And he is telling the story of, of the account of Christ. And he, Luke does it in a unique way as a physician. He's, he's this researcher and even notes that where he's kind of dealt with this. He's dived into the research on it and he's reporting the life of Christ. Uh, essentially, uh, all four of the Gospels, uh, then the story continues in the book of Acts, so we're continuing on. I, in the first book of Theophilus, I, Luke, have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Uh, By the way, Luke finishes with the ascension. Matthew does not. It finishes with the Great Commission. After uh, he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. I like that. Listen, Jesus understands that people want data. People want information. They don't necessarily get everything that they want, but they get enough to make a decision. The information is available to be able to find proof for things. And here Jesus gives that, appearing to them during 40 days. That's a long time. 40 days of time, over that time he's appearing and giving proof. I mean, it's just like, I want to know all the conversations. (laughs) I want to know them all. Um, But we don't have them all, but we have the information that we need. And he's uh, showing himself to them and speaking about the kingdom, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them. By the way, he can order them because he has all authority over heaven and earth. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Wait. So interesting, just, guys, wait. There are times over the years I've been learning more. There's times to wait. And here is one of them. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I don't have the time today to go into all of this, uh, but essentially uh, what's happening here is they're being promised something that they don't have fully here. In other words, these men were not superheroes with superpowers, but know this, these men were ordinary broken people that a superpower would use. Let's keep reading verse 6. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Let's stop. Confused disciples, confused disciples, um... It's interesting. You finish the book of Matthew, and Matthew notes the disciples are doubting, that they're hesitating, that some of them are just trying to still wrap their brains around this whole thing. And I would think that. Uh, the Bible wouldn't want to show all those kinds of things. But in fact, the Bible does because it wants to understand it's the real people going through real things. And so then here we leave that, we come over into Acts. And before we get very far in Acts, we actually learn verse six is telling us that the disciples still don't get it. They're confused, plus their hearts. Why is that the case? The word kingdom is used some 54 times in 52 verses in Matthew. All but one of the times is the word used by the disciples. The one time in the book of Matthew that the word kingdom is used by the disciples in Matthew 18, verse 1, where it says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Hey, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What that whole passage tells us is that the disciples were really viewing the the kingdom as something marvelous and wonderful, and that's true, that's the case, but they were also all selfish about it, because it's like, hey Lord, (laughs) I like James, and and I like John, and I like Peter, and I I like Matthew, but I just want to know, like, who's the greatest, man? I mean, who would you pick first out on the playground, Jesus? That's what we want to know. And it's related to this whole concept of the kingdom, who's the greatest in the kingdom of it. And so there's something to look forward to about this, but there's also something that we just have this way within us, where we take God's great things and we make it all about us. Have you noticed that in others too? Yeah. We just like have this way of taking the wonderful things of God. Like this week, Karen and I were talking, and I'm like, I'm I'm serious, honey. Listen, The Lord can come back this week. I'm dandy with that. And Karen's like, amen, double ditto that. That's exactly how the conversation went. And in it, it's like, I am looking forward to the Lord coming back. And I'm also at a stage of life where today would be awesome. Why do I think it would be awesome? Because sometimes don't you get tired of life? And it's like, can we just get on with the candy? Like, Lord, can we just have Reese's peanut butter cups galore right now? And this is kind of what's happening here. Listen, go back to verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, this again, this is the first time we really find the disciples having a conversation with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and they say, Lord, 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 Lord. You can even kind of like hear, hear they're hungry. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Hey, nothing's wrong with wanting to desire for that or yearn for that or look forward to that. But let's read what Jesus says to them. He said to them, hey guys, it is not for you to know the times of their season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But do know this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's interesting here how these confused disciples in this are envisioning something that really, as Boyce says, the disciples were expecting a political and territorial kingdom. They were looking forward to that. Um, That's what they were envisioning. It's like Jesus can, can now be the wonderful time. But Jesus envisioned something completely different. Hey guys, it's not about the world coming to you. It's actually right now about you going to the world. Yeah, but that's uncomfortable. It is. But You will receive power and you will go. Boyce also just notes in this how uh, God's people, we tend to change Jesus' go-make-disciples commission into send money or you come to us or let's just change the laws or know that we're praying for you. And yet we don't go and make disciples. And that's the commission. And I'm grateful that in this, we see disciples are confused. And I'm grateful for that because it gives me hope. Jesus gave the great commission to hesitating people. Jesus gives his final words, which is really the great commission stated again to some confused people. And I put myself in the category of at times I hesitate, and at times I'm confused. You too? And he gives us, passes us the baton of the Great Commission. Let me keep reading. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Let's just pause there and kind of catch a couple things up. So here are these confused disciples, and then they see Jesus go. I, as back in my R&D days in business, it's like this is one of these moments where I just want to sit on this and go, how did this happen? Like did Jesus just go, Ooh, and then like the cloud into the cloud, or did the cloud come down over him and just go, and then whoo, and he's gone. And then, you under too? We should, because I'm telling you, this is one crazy, like, divine moment here and what is going on in these blessed these hearts confused disciples and yet what does jesus give them before he does that a couple things he assures them he assures them uh, these are assured disciples they're confused but jesus gives them some assurance he gives them one correction and four assurances here's the correction uh, they say hey is this the time for the kingdom and jesus is like that's out of your pay grade That's out of your pay grade, guys. Listen, guys, you are asking about something that you should not be asking. Guys, you are asking about something that the Father has. There's a lot of lesson in that. Sometimes people can get so involved in putting together all the data on what's happening in our world that they get so lost in gathering the data on the hope of the return of Christ that they lose the sense that it's just like, listen, the Father's got that one. That's in the Father's throne seat, okay? That's out of our pay grade. And sometimes we can get so involved in that that we actually don't go make disciples. We get stuck in trying to put all the God pieces together, And yet, that's the Lord's thing. It's not for you guys. And then look at these quick four assurances here. Number one, that's the Father's deal. That is is an assurance. It's not like Billy Bob's got it. This is the God the Father has this, friends. He has this. And because He has it, it is going to happen in His time the way He wants. Assured of that. Secondly, you will receive power. That's cool because it's not in our power. We don't have the power to do anything like this that the Lord would call us to. And if we think it's out of our power, if we think it's out of our great skill sets, if we think it's out of about because we're awesome in and of ourselves, then we're in big trouble. This is about broken people that God redeems and makes anew and equips them and, and fosters them and empowers them to be do something to do something they could never do on their own. If it ever gets to the place where we go, yep, I can see why we were able to do that. We're in trouble. It should always be the kind of thing, I can't believe that God did that in our kids. I can't believe that God did that in my life. I can't believe that God has done that in our church, in, in the community. I just, It should be a, a type of thing, God's got that, that you will receive power. Assurance number three, he says, you will be my witnesses. That's cool. It's kind of like, you're not now, <laughs> but you will be. And by the way, what's a witness? Do I have a witness? What is a witness? A witness is simply someone that has seen something. That's it. They've experienced something. And and they tell about that. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. No, no, but uh, you have to be super smart. You have to be an apologetist. You you have to have this ability to be able to answer every question. No, you don't. You just need to be a witness. And so I literally do ask, do we have a witness? Because that's what the Lord is. Hey, friends, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got a witness to share. Because you are a witness. You may not know how everything fits together, how everything works out, but you do know this, there is a God, you've come to learn who he is, you've come to understand that you're a sinner separated from him, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and that by receiving him as your savior, that you can be redeemed and held as his child. And by the way, my life has changed. I'm a witness to that. Yeah, but what about, what about? I don't care, I just know this. There's so much hope in that. You will be my witnesses, and last, uh, this assurance of an angelic assurance. Know this, friends, Jesus will return. And when he had, verse 9, said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, a cloud took him out of their sight. That's just so crazy, awesome. Verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went. (laughs) These guys are just like, blown minds. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. By the way, just to comment, it's so interesting how scripture talks about angelic beings. Uh, I made reference to that last Sunday with uh, Matthew noting one angelic being at the resurrection, the one that moved the stone sat on it. And here we actually have, it talks about two men. uh uh, these are clearly angelic beings Uh, they're looking like humans in that uh it fits with that whole debate of it what's going on two men stood by them in white robes these are angelic beings verse 11 and said men of galilee why do you stand looking into heaven and my answer would be like well duh (laughs) i mean are you out of the loop on what just took place here the resurrected christ just like however that went woo anyway i think he's engaging Uh, why are you looking into heaven? Look, and then he says, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. How assuring is that? You see, friends, the Bible talks about relationship with God. And the relationship never changed. It never ended. And because it's about relationship with Christ, it's not about just when I'm there present with Christ. It's always relationship. And so even if Christ is on earth or in heaven, it's still relationship. It is an ongoing thing. When Jesus said goodbye, he said he's coming back. And for the person in Christ, until then, to not be with him in heaven is to be here, yet he is still with. There is never a not with. The question is, is the depth of the with. The Lord desires relationship. Obeying disciples Worshipping disciples, who are also hesitating and confused disciples, are the very ones that Jesus assures and commissions. And that gives me hope. He's not looking for supermen for Jesus, He's not looking for wonder women for Jesus. He's looking for broken people who see their brokenness and understand their need for a savior and he's available. And he wants to be with. I love this. The relationship continues from Matthew to Acts. Finish with a final thought. As we enter into the book of Acts, I find myself enthralled by the reality that in 30 years, in 30 years, the Lord took 11 ordinary men and a number of other followers as well And the Spirit of God empowered them to have an impact on the world in 30 years. We're we're at a place as a church where I know I and a number of us are, are thinking a lot about what might the Lord have for us? And when I come to Acts and I see what God did with just a bunch of ordinary people in a matter of 30 years, I actually step back and I go, I think I think way too small. I think I have the tendency to think what I and we could do as humans in our own abilities, as opposed to what God could do in and through us. No self-empire. No self-kingdom. What might the Lord do with a bunch of average, regular people to impact his kingdom in the coming 20, 30 years? Lord, I pray that we would be an available people, a people that you would delight to use. A people who Lord we fully admit it right here on the table. We struggle at times with doubt. We wrestle at times with being stuck in our own confusion. Wanting things to be the way we want them to be. We want the candy now. And we fully admit that, Lord. Yet along with that, Lord, we also humbly, only because of who you are, uh, acknowledge the fact that by your grace we, we have times of obeying you. Times of sincere depth of worship of you. Times of watching you do the work of the Great Commission in and through our lives. And yet, Lord, I just ponder the question, what might you do through a people like us, similar to the disciples and the followers of Christ at the time of the resurrection and ascension, what might you do with us over the coming 30 years? God, would you expand our eyes? Would you expand our faith? Would you stretch us? Draw us? Send us? Awe us. It's all about the fame of your name. May we grow in making the fame of your your name known in our worlds in Christ's name.